Acts 12, 1 to 19. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he, he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door, they saw him. They were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers and the sisters about this, he said. And then he left for another place. In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. After Herod had a thorough search made for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. I'm just going to pray for Paul as he's going to be speaking. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for, yeah, that, that you led uh, Luke by your spirit to write these, these words down and that we have been able to read uh, this witness and this testimony tonight of your, yeah, just your miracles and your work in the life of the Apostle Peter. I thank you uh, for Paul. I thank you for the gifts that you've given to him, for the word that you've given to him to share with us tonight. And Lord, I just pray, Lord, that the words of his mouth and the meditations of his heart would be pleasing in your sight um, tonight. And that, Lord, that we would receive from Paul what you would have us hear from you tonight. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Tim. You can have a seat. Hello, uh, my name is Paul, if you hadn't guessed. And if I haven't met you, um, I've been a member of this church for about 18 years. 
and they let me preach sometimes, which is super nice. And uh, it's really nice to be here with you again today. Um, I got to say, when I kind of got to today's passage, uh, I kind of didn't get the point, or I kind of wondered why it was there. It didn't, it didn't immediately make sense. So in Acts, the first half of the book has been uh, a kind of historical demonstration about God's acts through his Holy Spirit, through the church. Really, God and the Holy Spirit is the main actor through the apostles. And that what Jesus said is true would become true in that the church would go out into all the world And this wouldn't be just a Jewish way, a Jewish belief. It would be to all the nations. And so all the way to the chapter before this one, we see see the church in Antioch, which is the first multicultural, cosmopolitan, missionary-sending church. So they did it. By Acts chapter 12, what Jesus said the church was going to do, they did. It wasn't finished work. But it's what he'd promised and he'd said, that it would be a multicultural, multi-generational sending out church to the ends of the earth. And so when we get to Luke, or Acts chapter 12, I, have, I had no idea why this story was necessary. I know that seems like a silly thing to say about the Bible. Of course, God gave it to us on purpose. But it's, it's right in between the first half where God has demonstrated that he would do what he said, and the second half, which is Paul's missionaries' journeys and all these really cool stories about the church going beyond. So you have this, Acts, uh, Acts chapter 12 is like this hinge in these two great sections. And if it wasn't there, I don't know if we'd miss it. That was kind of my first thought as I read it was if this wasn't here, would I notice? I think we'd notice if there was no Pentecost. Everyone would be wondering, okay, where's God's presence? Where's God's presence? So Pentecost answered that burning question, where's God's presence gonna be? But Luke chapter 12 seems like a pause. And I think, I really think Luke is actually pausing on purpose and maybe allowing you and I to take a breath with him on this epic journey of the early church and reminding us of something fundamental. I mean, so fundamental, it's as important as breathing. And I think the whole, if every story has a moral, the moral of this story is in verse five. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. I think, I think that's the pause. So Peter was kept in prison and the church earnestly prayed for him. I think that's the moral of the story. And I wonder, I wonder if Peter, while in prison, with two guards sleeping on either side, and guards stationed in the three gates. This is a heavily guarded man. If Peter was wondering something I recalled when I read this story. 
I was remembering early in Peter's discipleship when he was with Jesus in Matthew chapter 16. And uh, the conversation went like this. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do, who do the people say that the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, Jesus asked, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So this, this moment with Jesus was an important one for Peter and the story of the church. And I wonder if Peter, while in prison, was recalling this moment. And here's why I wonder that. Jesus said to Peter, upon this rock, what is this rock? It's the confession that Jesus Christ is the risen Lord. He said, upon this rock, the confession that I'm the risen Lord, I will build my church. And where does Peter find himself after the establishment of this church? In prison, awaiting death, on the heels of James' martyrdom. That's how the story opens. James is beheaded. And King Herod, who's the ruler at the time, realizes that, hey, killing off these Jewish disciples of the way makes me uh, friends with the ruling elite, the Sanhedrins. So I'm just going to keep imprisoning more of these people and killing them because I want to gain favor with those who are ruling the Jews. So this is where Peter's at. Asleep, in prison, waiting for death. And I wonder if he's remembering that promise. The gates of hell will not prevail. And what's going on while Peter's in prison and Luke clearly tells us how well guarded he is? The church is fervently praying. The church is fervently praying. I think Luke is reminding us and his original audience that the church is built and established and grown on prayer. There's no other winning formula that what had been built was built on prayer, that what will be built will be built on prayer. And there's, there's lots going on for the church. They're, they're deciding how Jewish new Christians should be, and, and they're wondering, wow, the Holy Spirit can actually inhabit non-Jews, and their, their thinking is expanding, and they're strategizing, and they're working against persecution. I mean, these are busy people planning, thinking through how to be the church, and I think Luke is saying, but prayer. Prayer. 
And so what I like about this story is it calls us to prayer. I like this story because I think it gives us a picture of what prayer is and why we should pray. But it's a pause, and I'd like you to pause with me today and consider what prayer is, why we ought to pray. And if every living creature on this planet needs oxygen to survive, prayer is the breath of every believer. There's, there's no other strategy. Plans and paths are great. They're useful. It's prayer. Now, when I, um, when I uh, think about prayer, I, I usually don't picture me. Like, when I think about prayer times or prayer moments, I usually picture, uh, like, Janice or Helen when I think about prayer, Right? You know what I'm talking about. Uh, Arlene. And I know, I know there's others. But I, I imagine uh, folks with an overflow of faith and, and, frankly, words. Because when I pray, I don't feel like I have many. And I so appreciate others that do. But prayer is less a form than it is a relationship. And... I think this very kind of personal, visceral story teaches us how relational prayer is. It's deeply relational. Prayer is from a person to a person about persons. <laughs> like you just, you can't get more relational than that. Uh, and who am I praying to? I'm praying to the risen Lord. It's why I recalled, and I think it's helpful to mention that moment with Peter in Matthew chapter 16. It's not just the promise, but prayer, I'd like to suggest, at its root, is relational and a confession that Jesus Christ is the risen Lord. Really, bottom line, prayer is confession that Jesus Christ is the risen Lord, and it's a relational process. So <clears throat> when I pray, I hope this doesn't uninspire you, but when I pray, uh, it's not like Janice or Helen, I sit down at my desk, and I get quiet, because I'm not sure what to say yet, and I do the signs of the cross, and then I read some ancient prayers, from saints that I really like, and then I go down my list. So I'll tell you some of my list. This is quite literally what it looks like when I pray. I go, God, um, Bailey has cavities. That's expensive. Also, I think she's scared. I don't want my daughter to be scared. Could you fill in the cavities and we skip that? Thanks. And then I go, God, I love my home. Thank you so much for my house. Please don't make me move again. 
I hate moving. I love this house so much. And help us treat this home as if it was our own. I go down the list. Father, I don't think I understand Avalyn yet. I don't get her. I'm worried I'm not the father she needs yet. Would you make me the father she needs? And then I'll go, Father, uh, I didn't gossip today at work. Side note, it's tempting to gossip at my work. I've never really struggled with gossip, but in my job, there's gossip everywhere. You know what I'm talking about. And it's really hard not to gossip. I've never struggled with gossip until I became a teacher. And now I consciously choose not to gossip. (laughs) It's just everywhere. And it's so bad. Um, (laughs) It was just in the moment. It just sounds so good. Uh, But I'll, I'll, I'll go... I didn't, I wanted to gossip and I didn't. Thank you. Thank you that I didn't gossip today. And I'll feel really grateful. And so I'll just go through and I'll say things I'm thankful for. Two sentences. I'll, I'll say things that are hard. I'll admit areas of unbelief. I will, I will talk about what's going well, what isn't going where, where I feel complete and where I feel incomplete. And it's like, I don't know, 15 minutes and I'm done. I look at my watch and I go, well, this has been great. I don't know what else to say. I'm gonna go do some dishes. Like, I don't, <laughs> I don't know, I'm done. So, uh, you know, it's, I think on the outside, it maybe looks a bit rote, but what am I doing in that moment? And what I'm hoping you felt when I actually prayed in front of you is I'm trying to be vulnerable. I'm mostly trying to be vulnerable. And in all of those places, what I want to settle in my soul is that Jesus Christ is the risen Lord. When I'm thankful for my home, Jesus Christ is the risen Lord. When I don't know how to parent my kid, Jesus Christ is the risen Lord. When I'm anxious about money, Jesus Christ is the risen Lord. When I didn't gossip, Jesus Christ is the risen Lord. I'm trying to be vulnerable and make him Lord and not me. That's why prayer is relational. I'm not praying to a slot machine in the sky. I'm, I'm praying, so I like history. I just love that God became a person in history. I'm praying to a person who walked this earth and is the risen Lord. Like I'm praying to a person, not some vague force or power. I'm praying to a God who sent his son. That's who I'm praying to. That's why I pray. I want to make myself vulnerable to that person. And so this is what I see when I look at the church in Acts chapter 12. I see the death of James. I bet Peter and everyone there was grieving that. I mean, a public beheading, that's traumatic. Right? Somebody's brother, somebody's son. And now Peter, one of the main apostles, is in prison. And the church, grieving the death of James, 
is praying for the salvation of Peter. Because it's what you do. When you celebrate, you pray. When you mourn, you pray. And everything in between, you pray. Because it's the breath of every believer. And you confess that Jesus Christ is the risen Lord. And thank God, Peter walked out of that prison. But that's, that's what the church was doing. It was just a community, an ecclesia, a group of people praying to their God on the heels of great loss and saw deliverance. I, this is real-time stuff. This isn't a list. It's, it's, not, it's not a ritual. It's a relationship, and it's vulnerable. But Jesus Christ is the risen Lord, and the gates of hell will not prevail. And when the church prayed, look at what happened. Peter was asleep between two guards, and an angel showed up. And it provoked Peter. It says it provoked him awake. Said, hey, uh, tie up your robe. Get ready to walk out. So he did. And I don't know what the guards were doing, but I guess they were blinded or they were asleep. But while the church was praying, the guards were sleeping. And while the church was praying, an angel visited Peter. And while the church was praying, Peter walked out of the prison, all three gates guarded. And when the church was praying, Peter got outside the gates and kind of came to and went, oh, wow, that wasn't a vision. Like, I'm out. I'm free. So I'm going to go to where everyone's praying. And it was hard for them to believe at first that it was true. But that's, that's real-time relational stuff, right? And when we pray, this is what happens. And why it's vulnerable to pray and why maybe we don't pray is because we don't get to control the results, right? That's hard. And I mean that. Prayer is not about controlling results. This is the hardest reason for me to pray. You, uh, I, as a parent, I think about parents who have kids that are older than me. And maybe, maybe their kids, one of them suffered something terrible or it's just making bad life choices. And I try to imagine how much time that parent has spent on their knees weeping bitterly for their child, and nothing's changed. Folks, that's hard. This is why prayer is vulnerable, right? What if you don't get the answer you want? So I don't know about you, but that's why I have a hard time praying. That's why sometimes I feel like I don't have a lot of words. That's a hard one for me. I'm not in control of the results. And so when I pray, I'm actually daring to hope. Right? I'm daring to hope. And sometimes an apostle is martyred. 
and sometimes they're freed from prison. But I'm just not in control. And it's hard to admit that. And I know and believe with all my heart that God is merciful. But I also know that he honors people's choices. So it's hard. I'm not trying to discourage you. But I'd, I'd like to sit with you in that for a moment. I'd like to pause with you. Maybe there's something you have you're praying for that's hard. Because it's not coming true. I, I don't want to skip over that with platitudes. But I will choose to say that Jesus Christ is the risen Lord. And that's kind of all I got. I'm not overly impressed with us, but I'm pretty impressed with him. So, if you're struggling to pray, it might be easy or tempting to say, well, I'm just not disciplined. Or, well, I don't have lots of words. Or, it's not my gifting. I think and feel all those things. What if actually it's hard to pray because it's vulnerable and it's relational? What if prayer sometimes is just sitting in silence choosing to believe that Jesus Christ is the risen Lord. I think that's fine. And sometimes you'll have a lot of words and sometimes you won't. And sometimes you'll be full of joy and sometimes you'll be full of grief. But it's all prayer, right? Because I'm a person talking to a person about people I care about. And I'm going to choose to say, I'm going to choose to confess in my joy and my grief that Jesus Christ is the risen Lord. Now, why do we keep praying then? Why do we keep praying when we have those uh, hopes that go unfulfilled? When we have the Jameses in our lives that get martyred, what, why do we keep praying? I go back to Matthew 16 and what I think and hope Peter was meditating on while he was in prison. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I pray because the gates of hell will not prevail. And Jesus said so. That's why I pray. And how do I know that's true? This is why I like history. Because there's proof. So this, this, is a, uh, this is a spiritual... Scriptures to us, it's holy, right? It's also a historical 
document. This is the most substantiated, verified book in all of human history. There is more proof text for the validity of these claims than any other book on earth. This is a historical document. So I like history, and I like to think of it that way. But I pray because this tells me the gates of hell will not prevail. This proves the gates of hell will not prevail. Peter walked out of the prison. Yeah, James was martyred. And Peter walked out of the prison. And the gates of hell did not prevail. Not against Peter, not against Paul, not against the church that started in Asia and then died out and is now burning brighter than it ever has. The gates of hell will not prevail. And I believe it because Jesus said so and because he proved it. And when I pray, I confess that that's true. I want to I read for you uh, two, two ancient prayers that I love. Uh, one is by Cardinal Raphael. And the other one is by St. Benedict. So I just, I want you to hear in these people the, the relationalness of these prayers. Litany of Humility by Cardinal Raphael. Oh Jesus, meek and humble of heart, hear me. From the desire of my being esteemed, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being loved, from the desire of being extolled, from the desire of being honored, from the desire of being praised, from the desire of being preferred, from the desire of being consulted, from the desire of being proved, for the fear of being humiliated, from the fear of being despised, from the fear of suffering rebuke, from the fear of being... <clears throat> culminated from the fear of being forgotten, from the fear of being ridiculed, from the fear of being wronged, from the fear of being suspected, that others may be loved more than I, Jesus grant me the grace to desire it, that others may be esteemed more than I, that in the opinion of the world, others may increase and I may decrease, that others may be chosen and I set aside, that others may be praised and I unnoticed, that others may be preferred to me in everything, that others may become holier than I, provided that I may become as holy as I should. I love that prayer. I don't hear self-deprecation. I don't hear someone hating on themselves. I hear someone being vulnerable towards a heavenly father and saying, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Jesus Christ is the risen Lord. Less of me and more of you. St. Benedict. Father, in your goodness, grant me the intellect to comprehend you. I, I read this prayer before every time I read the Bible. I love it so much. Father, in your goodness, grant me the intellect to comprehend you, the perception to discern you, and the reason to appreciate you. In your kindness, endow me with the diligence to look for you, the wisdom to discover you, and the spirit to apprehend you. In your graciousness, bestow on me a heart to contemplate you, ears to hear you, eyes to see you, and a tongue to speak of you. In your mercy, confer on me a conversation pleasing to you, the patience to wait for you, and the perseverance to long for you. Grant me a perfect end. 
in your holy presence. Amen. So I don't know about you, but when I go to pray, I'm feeling incomplete and not enough. I'm thinking to myself, I should do this more. I'm wondering why I don't have more words like others or why I have to work off a list, otherwise I forget what I'm praying about. But when I approach prayer, it's not a moment, it's a relationship. Grant me, God. I grieve, I plead, I rejoice, I receive, I cry, I hope, and I finish with Jesus Christ as the risen Lord and the gates of hell will not prevail because you said so. And that's what I want to invite you into today. We've had a team in Turkey. They're coming back today. We've got Camp 8 coming up. I think you and I can do this today. We can do Luke chapter 12 tonight, today. I do little text message prayers, I call them throughout the day, and I sit down and I read my favorite prayers. Whatever it is, will you be vulnerable in getting close to the risen Lord, admitting you're not in control of the results, and no matter the outcome, saying, Jesus Christ is the risen Lord, the gates of hell will not prevail. That's the prayer I want to invite you into. That's the prayer I think Luke is modeling for us and is pausing in this epic tale of the church. He's pausing to invite you into. Can I have the worship team come up, please? I want to finish by reading you a prayer, one of my favorite from Psalms chapter 5. Listen to my words, Lord. Consider my lament. Hear my cry for help, my King and my God, for, I, for to you I pray. In the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay requests before you and wait expectantly. For you are not a God who's pleased with wickedness. With you, evil people are not welcome. The arrogant cannot stand in your presence. You hate all who do wrong. You destroy those who tell lies. The bloodthirsty and deceitful, you, Lord, detest. But I, by your great love, can come into your house. In reverence, I bow down towards your holy temple. Lead me, Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. Not a word from their mouth can be trusted. Their heart is filled with malice. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues, they tell lies. Declare them guilty, O God. Let their intrigues be their downfall. Banish them for their many sins, for they have rebelled against you. But let all who take refuge in you be glad. I love that. Let them sing for joy. Spread your protection over them, and those who love your name may rejoice in you. Surely, Lord, you bless the righteous. You surround them with your favor as with a shield. Father, we come before you in vulnerability and humility. We admit that we are not in control of the results. But we together agree that the church is grown, the gospel is spread, lives are changed on prayer. There's no 
other plan than prayer. And we receive this pause from Luke and we declare, we declare that you are the risen Lord and the gates of hell will not prevail. Amen. Amen.